Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. Looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond, James. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. It's been a big week of sport in action, hasn't it? And I can't wait to break it down over the next hour. Yep, so what we'll do, James, we'll start off with the football and England. Uh, two wins from two from them. A uh, good result from for Gareth Southgate's men. Yeah, it definitely was. A 4-0 win over Andorra and a 4-0 win over Hungary as well. Two great results for England. We'll kick it off with the Hungary game. Sterling came, Maguire and Rice bagging all four goals. A great result for England, though, but a fairly difficult team to beat Hungary. I mean, we know they nearly caused a massive upset in the European Championships, didn't they? Nearly beating Germany, nearly securing a place in the last 16. So a good result for us. And then moving on to the Andorra game, Lingard bagging two, Kane bagging one, Saka bagging the other. Some good performances from England, but the real test comes this week against Poland, and that'll be a much tougher game, won't it, Rob? It will, it will, James. Obviously, Gareth Southgate's men went to Hungary. Unsavoury scenes in the stands with the Hungarians, uh, you know, giving Raheem Sterling abuse. Obviously, they've had uh, problems before in Hungary. Uh, Gareth Southgate has, has come out and uh, and and asked for action to be taken by U- UEFA. Um, obviously, it's it's been a reoccurring problem with with uh, with international football and these uh, these nations like Hungary. Yeah, most certainly. It's something that I think needs to be sorted. And I think I think with time, this will be dealt with. And uh, what ideally, Rob, for you, what, what course of action would you like to see taken? Well, I think for me, James, what, what needs to happen, um, they need to go in hard on, on Hungary. Really, it's more of a society problem. But with football... Um, it is a it is a big thing in Hungary. So if if the national team get punished uh, with with bans from stadiums or competition bans, that might sort of open a few eyes in Hungary and realise that they're on they're in dangerous water. And you're hoping that UEFA or FIFA um, can be strong on these nations because obviously you know any kind of sort of racist behaviour cannot be tolerated um, in international football can be tolerated full stop in society um, so really a message needs to be sent to, to, to these fans who, who continue to do things like this James what do you think? I mean I think you make some very valid points there Rob and I know that people complain about the knee well some people complain anyway and I don't want to get too political Rob but when England were knocked out of the uh, European Championship final when Italy beat them on penalties. The amount of racist abuse we saw directed to those three young lads in Sancho, mm. Saka and Rashford was was absolutely disgusting and I think we can't say anything less about that. And the abhorrent comments that were made by people who are meant to be England fans, it's just sickening, not only for the whole country to have to deal with, but for those three lads. I mean... Is it not bad enough that they've had to go through the fact that they've missed a penalty for the national team? And then it gets put down to their race. It's just, it's just sickening stuff, isn't it? And we're hoping that any fan who is racist towards players is, is dealt with because it's not something that anybody wants to be a part of football. It's a community sport, Rob, at the end of the day. We all pay our money from the grassroots level up to the highest levels. And racism is something that definitely needs to be kicked out of the game. And hopefully these Hungarian fans who were subjecting the England players to racism will be dealt with accordingly. Yeah, it's a terrible situation, James. But I think the English game has come a long way. If you look back from to the 70s, the 80s and early 90s, in the crowds and, and all the sort of monkey chants and things like that, really, that's gone. 
So the kick out campaign has worked to an extent, but now it's going online and there's pockets of it, which, you know, these campaigns still need to run because obviously fans need to still be educated. The next generation coming through needs to be educated to know what's right and what's wrong. So, you know, when we look at our problem, yeah, it is a, it is a problem, but it's not as big a problem as it was, but it still needs addressing. That's the important the current countries whose sort of you know their views are, are different aren't they James that they live in a different society and it's it's more about educating the masses for them really and that, and that's the important thing that's the way FIFA and UEFA have that ability to 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 put them things in place and then fans from obviously these countries who who don't sort of share the same values as as we do um you know will get will see their teams punished and hopefully that might sort of uh, tune them into a different way of life most certainly i mean we are seeing it going down slowly but surely at the stadiums. And I think one of the big reasons for that, Rob, is almost sadly is because they can be captured on video now doing things like this. And if yeah. somebody is seen doing a monkey chant, it's on social, it gets posted to Twitter, it gets posted to Facebook, they've lost their jobs, their families are in disarray, all that sort of stuff, which is, of course, what needs to happen. But then they readjust, don't they? And then they take to their Twitter profiles with fake profiles and they're almost behind a shield of being anonymous. And nobody knows who they are. So they feel free then to post monkey emojis directed towards England players. They feel free to use slurs and horrible words because nobody's ever going to catch them. And that needs to be dealt with. And I think the social media platforms need to do a far better job of catching these people. But the more education we can have on the issue, the better. And hopefully worldwide, this can become more of a thing. Because in a lot of these Eastern European countries... Racism is still large at football events, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to name countries in particular and for allegations out there, but England players often talk about going to certain countries. They are more likely to get subjected to racism than in others. Yeah. And I hope that slowly, as you say, education can perform more of a task, become more of a thing, and hopefully we can get rid of this and really well and truly kick it out of the spot. Hopefully within the next 20 years or so, because I do think it's a big job to rid it out of certain cultures and certain ways of life, but hopefully... By the time we're at that sort of age, it'll be gone. Yeah, there's no quick fixes, the James. That's the thing we've gone from the 70s. It took us to now to get to where we are. So these other countries are going from where we were in the 70s. So it needs, like you say, an education program. It's a slow burner, but you hopefully, you know, 20, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, we're all going to be on the same page. Um, looking at the other game, Andorra at home, 4 0 win, two goals for um, Jesse Lingard. Um, you know, must be, will boost his confidence. Yeah, most certainly will. And a question I want to ask you about Jesse Lingard, Rob, is because yeah. he was excellent today, wasn't he? He was. And to, towards the end of his spell at Manchester United as well, I suppose before he went on loan to West Ham, he, mm. he was struggling. He wasn't necessarily always getting in the first team, but he showed exactly how talented he is playing for the Hammers. He was doing really well, scoring goals, playing well. And I feel that he's probably not going to get back in Manchester United starting eleven. I don't know if he's quite good enough. With the competition in that side, especially now with the players we've brought in, yeah. I don't see him being a starting eleven player. He can come back to Old Trafford if he wants to. And if he wants to carry on running out at the future of dreams, I'll be 100% behind him, but he'll be a squad rotation player. Mm. For me, Rob, if he wants to play first-team football, if he wants to capitalise on the potential and on the talent that he's got, he needs to move away from Manchester United. 
I agree with you, James. I, I think, obviously, Jesse Lingard showed, when he played at West Ham uh, last season, he is a very, very good player. But at Manchester United, he has very high competition, doesn't he? The likes of Bruno Fernandes, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, players like that who are competing for his spot in the team. And for all the best will in the world, Jesse Lingard isn't Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, he's good. He shows good touches. But for me, for his career, for his England career as well, James, he has to move on. Yeah, he's a Man United supporter. He's been there since he was a kid. And he probably has an affinity to the club and thinks I'll fight for my place. But let's just let's be real. In reality, he isn't going to get in this in our first team. If he wants to be a squad player and play 10, 15 games a season, um, you know, in sort of league club competitions and come on a substitute and things like that, then that's fine. But where's that? Where's your ambition to be a top, top player? Could have gone to West Ham and think about it. Playing Man United 10 times a season, does that give you um, an international uh, spot? Probably not, because there's other players in the Premier League who are going to be playing 20, 30, 40 games a season and showing that class to Gareth Southgate. But if you're going in and out of a of a team, you've got a kind of you've got a limited window to show what your ability is all about. So for, for me, he should have really gone in the transfer window. But he hasn't, and we have to see what happens between now and the winter window, because obviously he'll, he might get a few games, injuries might happen. But if that happens, James, he has to take full advantage. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, still a great player. We're still completely behind him. And I think he'll probably play a full season at Manchester United. And if he isn't getting the time on the pitch that he'd like, maybe at the end of the season he'll go to back to West Ham or back to another place. It's The only thing is that's holding him back, and a lot of players are like this. They have an absolute adoration for the club. Mm. Jesse Lingard clearly loves Manchester United, but is that love holding him back? Because he's not going to get the time on the pitch he wants at Manchester United. It's right, James. He's not. And that's a problem, I think. Obviously, you can support. It's his team, isn't it? And he thinks to himself, you know, Man United is all of all I've ever known and all I've ever wanted to know. But... Will that impact on his career? Will Will he look back in fifteen years' time, James, and think, you know, I played, you know, for Man United. I spent ten years there, but I only managed hundred games, hundred fifty games, let's say. Um, when I should have, I should have, could have gone and played for another team, gone into World Cups, gone into Euro Championships, and be a be the main man going into them competitions. It's going to be interesting. It's like the Dan James. Um, example he signed for Leeds he was a squad player at Man United but gone to Leeds to play and that's the important thing for him he he's looking at that Man United side and he's thinking you know where do I fit in he's not going to get into this Man United starting 11 with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo arriving he's gone to Leeds thinking I'm going to play every week and enjoy my career and perform well for Wales and good luck to him yeah most certainly Rob so if you look at it at that angle, where we've got these two players, we've got Jesse Lingard, we've got Dan James, who clearly both love the club. Obviously, mm. Lingard probably has a slight preference for it over Daniel James due to the fact that he obviously loved it as a child. Yeah. He'll be playing for Manchester United this season. He might get 10 to 15 games. He's playing for a club who could potentially win the Premier League. A great, great football club, Manchester United. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, Dage and Sanchez... Paul Pogba, he's playing alongside some great players. What's better? Is it playing a few games for Manchester United 
Or is it playing a full season for Leeds United? A club not quite at the same level, but still has a bit of status. Which do you think is better? I think it's probably better to play every week, James, and play at the highest level you can. Um, you go, some players go to top teams. Let's say Ross Barkley, for example, playing at Everton every week. Their main man playing well, showing all the skills. People are talking about him going to going on to England greatness. Signs for Chelsea, doesn't quite work out for him. And then he just drifts into the background. Danny Drinkwater, another player that went, you know, like went to Chelsea, disappeared. And they're, they're the types of players that really should be looking at thinking, well, I might not be able to get into this Chelsea team, but if I go to the likes of Leeds or Southampton or Aston Villa or someone like that, then obviously I can perform and, and my profile will, will rise and then I can get into the international scene. And I think it's important, these players, they earn millions, don't they? You know, 40, 50, 60, 100 grand a week. Um, where's the hunger? Are they thinking, I can sit on Chelsea's bench on 100 grand a week for the next four years and, and you know, collect a load of money? Or are they thinking, you know, where can I place myself in the next five years? Can I play at the highest level? Uh, and that's the big question, I think, with, with players. We're in that kind of uh, switch moment where they think, I earn lots of money, but I don't play much. Or do I play more and get less money? Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, if you were put in the same situation, Rob, what do you think you'd value more? Do you think you'd want to play more? Or do you think you'd want to sit on maybe at the bench at a far better club? Well, uh, you want to play, don't you, James? So I'd I'd rather play... 40 games a season and and perform to the highest level I can. I don't see sitting on a bench or in a squad sort of reserve team as as what as an ambition. If these players want to reach the highest quality, they've got to play every week. So for me, James, I, I'd be playing every week. What about you? I think I'd also want to play every week, Rob. I mean, I personally love Manchester United, but I wouldn't want to be there and let my legacy pass mm. as a bench warmer. Yeah. Somebody who wasn't quite good enough for the starting eleven. Somebody who put in a shift playing West Brom away from home, but would miss out when it came to going to a Champions League final. Mm. I think I'd rather play week in, week out for a team like Leeds, a team that definitely has a bit of status, a team that really is still one of the biggest in England when you take into account what they've actually achieved, and play some big games, because there's still big games. I'd like to be on the pitch playing those important matches and maybe if we have a good FA Cup run I can play in those important cup fixtures and not miss out like I potentially would at Manchester United I'll, I'll, I'll tell Ollie so he knows what the score is James that's the that's the important thing talking about Jack Dan James <laughs> Wales um, they drew nil-nil with Finland and beat Belarus 3-2 Gareth Bale hat-trick um, obviously Gareth Bale same situation as Real Madrid Real Madrid asked to go to Tottenham to, to get his games but gone back to Real Madrid strange situation yeah very strange isn't it Gareth Bale I think we all expected him to leave didn't we I didn't think he had much time left at Real Madrid but he's there again now and despite the fact that he's not had the best of time as of late he's still hoping to put a few more chapters left in his Real Madrid story do you think it's the right move? I think like I say he's gone to Tottenham he's, he's showed you know scored some good goals played well why go back why go back to Real Madrid? It doesn't make any sense unless he's thinking, you know, change a manager. Um, you know, Ancelotti's there now. He's had a good relationship with Ancelotti. Does he think he'll get more games? That's the question. Maybe give it half a season and see where you are. But, you know, there's some good players in that Real Madrid side. You know, there's no guarantee 
that you will get uh, a starting spot. So, yeah, it's interesting. The footballer's strange breed. Yeah, and then if you look at his international side, Wales, what chance do you think they have right now qualifying for the World Cup? Is it something you expect to happen? Well, they're, they're, in, a, they're in a bit of a dogfight, aren't they, with the Czech Republic? Uh, Wales are third, Czech Republic second, Belgium are out in front uh, on 13 points. So if Wales can nick, uh, you know, keep picking these wins up, uh, top two qualify, and then obviously it's about getting into that third place spot. So as long as Wales keep winning, hopefully for a, a slip up uh, for the Czechs, and that will put them through, and that's the important thing. Uh, looking at as well for our other, other nations, Scotland, they beat uh, Moldova 1 0. They've got Austria. On Wednesday, James, they're third in their league as well with eight points, two points behind Israel. Um, Scotland did well in the Euros, and I'm sure they'll be looking at uh, be you know getting into that uh, World Cup qualifying spot. Yeah, most certainly they've not been in the World Cup for a while, and I think they'd be happy to get back there. They're in a bit of a dogfight as well, aren't they? Like Wales, and I think the Scots will be absolutely buzzing at the opportunity to make the World Cup. All they've got to do now is get over the line. They're struggling. They're on the cusp, aren't they? It's going to be nip and talk. Do you think they can do it? I think they can, James. I think when you get into a, a sort of mindset, which they showed at the Euros um, in these big games, I feel in that Scotland will turn the car, the corner. Steve Clark done a good job uh, for them. And you're hoping you can uh, sort of get like guide them to another major competition. What about you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's, he's doing a good job at Scotland, isn't he? I mean, it's not getting them to the Euros is a hard job. So if you can replicate that form and get them back to the World Cup, I'd be very impressed with him. And it'd be nice to see Scotland go on a run. If we're not going to be too biased against them, I think it'd be good for the country because it does feel like they're capable. It just hasn't quite clicked into place for them, has it? Yeah, it is. It's it's a problem, but obviously with the lack of quality he's got to hand, he has got his what he's got to play with what he's got. So you kind of hoping that he can find another level. And he got him to the Euros, so I'm sure he can raise the the, the team again. Um, let's talk domestic football now, James. Uh, Salford City FC uh, beaten two one. Uh, away at Carlisle on Saturday. They lost 1-0 against Oldham in the Papa John's Trophy as well midweek. Um, disappointing result, but let's not panic just yet. No, we can't panic yet, can we? I mean, a 1-0 loss against Oldham and then a 2-1 loss against Carlisle. None of it's ideal, is it? And Salford currently stand 20th in the League 2 table. They've got a game coming up against Bradford, who are currently in third. They've only lost one game so far this season. So at least on paper, even though at home, I think Salford are the big underdogs in this one. And if a loss does occur, then do we start to panic? Because we're going to drop into the relegation zone. And at the start of this season, I think me and you both predicted that Salford would make a run at potentially a playoff place. And at the moment, they're a million miles away from that. Yeah, but they got busy in the transfer market. James, uh, they signed two players. They got uh, Donald Love, is uh, a defender for ex Shrewsbury Town uh, on a one year deal. He's a Man United, he was a Man United youth player early in his career. So that shows the quality of the player that, that they're trying to pick up. And they also signed Andy Smith, he's also a centre back. So um, they're, they're looking obviously strengthening in that area, and it's good. Obviously, the way the situation is now with the, the transfer window that you can't purchase these players any time during the season. Gary Bowyer's got to look at that squad and think, where can I improve it and go out and get the players when the window's up? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, we've got all of January, haven't we, to try and improve that squad. But by the time you get to January, a big chunk of the season's gone. 
And if Salford continue on the form they're in at the moment, could by January it be a little bit too late to bring into some quality and gel them back into the squad? I mean, where do you see them being come Christmas time? Well, it's an interesting question, James, because winning, like losing, becomes a habit, don't you? So you need to pick up, start picking up wins. If they're in and around the playoffs come Christmas time, Gary Bowyer will be looking at his squad thinking, what have I got here and what can I do to push us to that next level? They have started quite badly, but they've got plenty of games to go. They've got months. We don't want Sofa to start panicking now because if they start panicking, players will start getting twitchy. And that's when the performances drop, James. It's all about remaining focused, don't panic, and start winning matches. And that's the important thing. Don't forget, Gary Bowie's men, they've gone on a climb, haven't they, over the last few years. Salford City, you know, winning winning leagues, going up through the divisions. And at this point, they've hit the level and they need that extra quality in the squad to go to that next level. You're just kind of hoping that, that the panic button isn't isn't hit and they can continue to build. Most certainly. And another team that has to focus and not get too downhearted is Arsenal. Hmm. Currently 20th place in the league. Rock bottom of the Premiership right now. Something that none of us would have predicted at the start of the season. I don't think me or you would have said that they were going to win the Premier League. Maybe we wouldn't have even predicted them to get a Champions League place. But the odds of them being bottom of the table at this stage were absolutely incredible. None of us Mm. expected them to be there. They've got a game coming up against Norwich. They're in 19th. So Arsenal couldn't hope to have an easier game to come back to after the international break. But in another way, this could be as tough as it comes because Norwich will see this as a game that's very winnable and they're scrapping themselves. So I think they're in for a tough one here, the Gunners. Do you think they'll get the win? Or will Mikel Arteta's men get another crushing loss? It's a must-win for Arteta and his men. Obviously, bottom of the league, people think Arsenal should be sort of winning, you know, winning championships, getting in Champions League. So, like I said before, James, winning, losing becomes a habit. Arsenal are on a bit of a diamond spiral at the moment. Defeat against sort of Norwich this week, that'll be the end of them. And Arteta will be looking over his shoulder, thinking, is it my time? You know, they spent a lot of money, Arsenal, on that stadium and a lot of money in the transfer market as well this season. So, you know, the people in charge at Arsenal will want, uh, you know, the money, want some success for the money they put in. So it'll be very, very interesting to see uh, what happens in the next uh, few months. If, If Arteta can't turn it round, then I'm sure they'll find someone who can. So that's all our football chat, James. And what we're going to do, we're going to talk UFC now. And Darren Till was defeated in Las Vegas on Saturday night, James. What went wrong for him? What went wrong for Darren Till? Everything, really. He couldn't match up in the wrestling department compared to Derek Brunson. But I don't even think that was the defining factor as to why Darren Till lost this fight. For me, Rob, the confidence just isn't there anymore. Darren Till was a man who was absolutely brimming with bravado his run-up to the UFC. He couldn't have been any more confident if he'd have tried. He was boasted he was the best in the world. He was going to absolutely walk his way to a UFC title. He fought Stephen Thompson, was very lucky to get the decision that night, and then walked straight into a title shot. Far too early for me. When he fought Donald Cerrone... He burst onto the scene. There was a lot of momentum behind him. You could see the talent. You could see the star power oozing out of him. But then they rushed him into the Wonderboy fight. 
and the jump in quality between Cerrone and Stephen Thompson is monumental. And once you've stepped up in the UFC, it's very hard to step down. So he's basically fought a murderer's role of title challenges in the UFC. I mean, you've got Stephen Thompson. He fought for the belt against Tyron Woodley. He comes back against Jorge Masvidal in London, looks close to winning, and then gets knocked out cold. And that was a defining factor. And it's the defining factor that's almost def defining his career at the moment. The Jorge Masvidal knockout was so bad that I don't think he can mentally recover from it. Because since then, he's gone from being all that aggression to being extremely gun-shy, not ever willing to pull the trigger, and that's been his problem in, since fights. I mean, he fought Kelvin Gastelum, was very open about the demons he was facing. I've got a lot of time for that, a lot of respect for that, because I think he can help future fighters coming up that path to deal with emotions because it's not something that men in general talk about, never mind world-class fighters. But it's still clearly plaguing him, and that's an issue. In his follow-up fight against Kelvin Gastelum, he barely threw a punch. He just about scraped a victory. And then against Robert Whittaker, again, gunshine, not pulling the trigger. Against Derek Brunson, he didn't look to be all there. That's how I saw it. He just didn't look to be there at all, Rob. He had one moment in the third round where he wobbled Brunson, but Brunson was able to take him down seemingly at ease, and he was able to get the submission in fairly quick time. And I don't know what happens to Darren Till now. He still clearly has a fighter's mindset. He wants a shot at a world title, but will he get it? We've been here before, haven't we, British fans, with Michael Bisping, who took so long to finally win the world title shot. He was the absolute definition of resilience. But something he seems to have over Darren Till is the fact that when he was on the end of one of the worst knockouts in UFC history, mentally, he was able to bounce back. He was able to focus on the future. And his run towards the UFC world title never refrained. He never slowed down. He never stopped believing. And as Darren Till stopped believing... That's what we need to focus on right now. Because if he has, it's a long road back. Because I think that's all it is. It's not the talent he's lacking. It's the mentality. After this, after his victory, James, does the Americans have a title shot? You can look at it two ways. His loss to current champion Israel Adesanya was extremely conclusive. So in that department, I don't think that fight makes logical sense in terms of it being a tough challenge for the champion. Well, you can't argue with five back-to-back -back wins on the spin, can you? And especially this last one over Darren Till and the one prior over Kevin Holland, two of the best wins of his entire career. It's almost very difficult to deny the man of a world title fight because on PP he deserves it. I think maximum, he's got one fight left, maybe against Jared Cannonier, and then after that, I think you have to give him a fight for the belt. Looking at where he is now, do you think Darren Till will ever be a world champion? I don't know, Rob. I really don't. I want to tell you, yes. And before this fight, I was still pretty confident that he had it in him. But I just don't know if that mentality is there, that elite winning mentality, that mindset that can bounce back from the depths of despair like Michael Bisping had. Somebody who was on the end of so many bad losses from the Dan Henderson knockout to losing an eye against Vitor Belfort. I don't know if Darren Till's got that same energy about him. You can see in his face that He's struggling. He was struggling in that fight against Derek Brunson from a mental point of view. He looked down, he looked out, and he hadn't even been beat yet. I don't want to say look for a way out, but he just didn't seem to want to be in there from the very outset. So I honestly don't know. I think he's a massive star. I think the UFC like him. So I think he'll be able to survive being caught. 
most people who lose, you know, five of the last six, including the Wonderboy fight, get cut from the UFC. But he's got a bit more star power than the average man who does that. So I think he'll manage to remain in the company for now, but he needs to start getting wins together. Final USC question of the, the show, uh, James. Uh, Paddy the Baddy, which is another quality nickname, makes his debut on the card, and it was one of the most impressive in USC history. Yeah, Paddy the Baddy, what a great nickname. It's up there <laughs> with your favourites, isn't it, Rob? Like it Bobby is. Knuckles. Yes. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Paddy the Baddy, what a performance. Absolutely incredible for years. The former Cage Warriors champion was linked with the UFC and people were outraged at his decision to turn down UFC contracts because he wasn't quite ready yet. Now, in hindsight, that looks like an absolutely genius decision. He would have signed for the UFC a few years ago. He'd have probably been swallowed. He'd have been a fish and a sea full of sharks, wouldn't he? He'd have been eaten alive. But he's taking that time out to develop his skills at a lower level, to prepare for the UFC. And now he's ready. And what a performance it was. Rocked early, but manages to bounce back. That elite winning mentality that we talk about, to bounce back from adversity. He certainly did that. And you can see by his followers on Instagram that his profile has rose incredibly. And he's a massive, massive star for the future, Rob. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the next uh, few weeks and months uh, for him, James. And what we'll do now, we'll talk ice hockey. Now moving on to the world of ice hockey. And there's 10 days till the season starts, Rob. How excited are you? Oh, James, super excited. Manchester Storm, back at the Storm shelter. Ice hockey, always been a fantastic sport to watch. Looking forward to be able to cover the Storm for the sport zone. Fantastic crowd down there in Altrincham, hoping to cheer Ryan Finney's men on uh, to further success because that's what it's all about. It's all about winning, and Ryan Finney's men will be looking forward to doing that this season. Yeah, we're all absolutely buzzing for the new season to start, Rob. And which players should we look out for? Yeah, Ryan Finney has, you know. Brought a good squad uh, together this season, James. Um, he's been busy in the transfer market. But looking at the players in that squad, James, there's five to look out for. You've got Dallas Earhart, a, cent a central defender, the leader, the general, will be a key player, a key performer in, in Ryan Finney's uh, side. Uh, you've got Matt Ginn, who's the goalkeeper, you know, Great shot stopper. You know, all good teams need a good goalkeeper. And I feel with Matt Ginn, you've got you've got a player there who will certainly stiffen up that uh, Manchester Storm rear guard. You've got Tyson Fawcett, who's a, who's a forward, very popular with the Storm crowd. He'll be looking to score, uh, you know, lots of goals for the Storm, as will Jared Van Wormer. We spoke about him last, uh, last week on the show. Scored 20 goals. For the last three seasons, I think in Canada. So you know he's he's going to be looking to carry that form over into this season with Manchester Storm. And then you got Frankie Melton, another fan's favourite, performed very well two seasons ago at Manchester Storm. And the Manchester Storm fans will be looking at that and thinking if Frankie can come get on the ice and show the skills that he did during that period, they're going to be you know up for a bit of a, a good season. I think. Well, certainly. I think we all hope that they're up for a good season. But which teams do you think are going to challenge for the league title? It's a good question, James, because obviously they had 
a bit of a, a bit of a type. Well, they had like a mini uh, competition during the COVID last season, but now they're on a, on a full uh, league uh, roster, we'll call it. So looking looking down the sides, you've got Cardiff, you've got Sheffield, you've got Belfast, you've got Nottingham. You know, all good teams, full of class players, James. So if Manchester Storm are looking to break into that four teams there. That's that's the that's the thing they've got to do. They've got players to do it, James. Well, let's be honest. You know, Brian Infinity has purchased a lot of good players, and I'm I'm looking at that squad. I'm thinking to myself, you know, we've got the people who are able to break into to to this four team, you know, group at the top. And you're hoping the Manchester Storm fans who will get down to the Storm shelter uh, in over the season and cheer the lads on will be rewarded with some fantastic high soccer. Most certainly, Rob. And now moving on to the world of boxing, Paul. And we'll just quickly gloss over this because a bit of time has passed now. But Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, a monstrous fight out in Cleveland. And the former UFC champion had Paul hurt terribly. And I think every boxing fan around the world and every martial arts fan couldn't get their head round why Tyron Woodley didn't press the action. He seemed to just let this one go. And a lot of fans are complaining that it wasn't so much that Jake Paul won the fight. It's more that Tyron Woodley lost the fight due to what seemed to be a lack of desire to go out there and win it. Yeah, it seemed um, it seemed a strange fight, really, didn't it? And um, yeah, like you said, a lack of desire to go and win it, a lack of ambition in the fight, and yeah, disappointing for uh, for people who, who who were watching it who wanted to see that, you know, that that contest. So um, so yeah, I think it was a disappointing end to it. But for for Paul, he he, he carries on, doesn't he? And, uh, and and sort of his stock is, seems to be rising all the time, doesn't it? Now, so will he get into another big fight? I'm pretty sure he will. You know, he's um, his, his his stock is growing, as I say, and um, you know he, he, te- he seems to keep getting the um, the viewers on his YouTube and and things like that. So um, yeah, I, I think there's some big fights there for him now. You know, if, if he wants it, and um, the public seem to want it, so yeah, his stock is rising all the time. And Tommy Fury fought on that undercard against Anthony Taylor, a Bellator fighter, a man who at five foot six was at a massive height disadvantage. And also a weight disadvantage. I know he weighed in at about 170 pounds, but this is a man who spent the bulk of his career fighting at 145 pounds. There was a big size advantage for Fury, and he wasn't able to capitalise on it. Most expected him to knock Taylor out, put on a bit of a show, and then make that pole fight a massive one for everybody to look forward to. But he didn't necessarily deliver on his end. And People are complaining when they look at his style because there seems to be a few flaws in there. Overcommitting to shots, leaving himself open, telegraphing, getting hit by overhand rights. He's not developing necessarily at the speed of other prospects. And now people are insinuating that the Jake Paul fight might not be a complete foregone conclusion for him. Where do you stand? Are you in the camp that maybe Tommy Fury isn't quite as good as he's being made out to be? Or... Do you think it was just an awkward, difficult opponent and he had a bit of a bad night? Well, no, I think it's a bit of both. I think it was a bit of an awkward and difficult opponent. But, as you say, you shouldn't be getting caught with some of those shots he's getting caught with. And, you know, as you progress through through your career and, and, and you, you go on to fight better people as you climb the ladder, so to speak, you're not going to be able to afford to make these mistakes like he's making and getting caught with shots and getting tagged. So, if you are doing... You know, you sometimes find yourself at a level, don't you? And, and that 
you know, that level is your level, if you like. So just because he's, you know, he's from that family doesn't mean to say he's going to go on and win world titles. I mean, he could do, but you've no divine right to do it. You've got to work for it and you've got to be, you've got to be right. You've got to be game plan right. You, you, you've got to, you know, yeah, I don't know. There's just something not not quite right there at the moment, is there? So uh, we'll, we'll see as he, as he progresses. He's still a very young man, so um, there's improvements there to be made from him. But as you said, an awkward opponent as well. But no, I think there's some flaws there. And, you know, there's a lot of wily operators in boxing who'll be watching him and look, thinking there, I, I can exploit those, those flaws of him. So he needs to be on his game now and he's got something to prove in his next fight, definitely. Headingley Stadium in Leeds was the venue for what was meant to be a huge rematch between Josh Warrington and Maurizio Lara, with the Mexican absolutely demolishing the Leeds Warrior last time out. And the fight was warming up to be an absolute cracker, but then just two rounds in, an accidental head clash caused a huge cut above Lara's eye, and the fight had to be waved off as a technical draw. Deeply disappointed for Warrington, deeply disappointed for Lara, and deeply disappointed for the massive fans who were crammed into that rugby stadium. Yeah, it was. It was a disappointing uh, end to into a fight, and particularly the atmosphere there that they created. I know we've had we've had fights at rugby stadiums before. We've had a few at Hull, haven't we, at Craven Park on the east coast of all They've been enjoyable ones. But heading the stadium, you know, since the renovation work that's been done there over the last sort of eighteen months, it's it's now a fantastic. It was a decent stadium anyway, but it's now a fantastic, uh, fantastic stadium. It's great to see so many people there in the crowd. And, you know, Josh Warrington, a local man as well, a Leeds Rugby League and football supporter, is is a real sort of Leeds man, the hero in the city of Leeds. So, uh, so yeah, disappointing he didn't get the uh, the opportunity there to uh, to put a few wrongs right. You know, it's a frustrating night, accidental clash of heads, and then it's just that's just the way it goes. But it it leaves the door open for another fight now, doesn't it? But it's just it's just a shame, you know, that, that a lot of organisation went into that fight and a lot of. Um, a lot of effort, and it just it comes out like a null and void fight, really, doesn't it? So disappointing for both fighters, and uh, particularly Josh Warrington in front of his hometown fans. Conor Bin's in destructive form as of late, but Adrian Granados took in the distance. And do you think this was a good learning fight for Conor Ben? Because it exposed maybe some of the things that he has to work on. Because even though he's rapidly improving, he's still got that raw element to him. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I think it, it was good for him because, you know, the last couple of fights he's had, he's blown opponents away, hasn't he? And, and yeah, he's got terrific speed, terrific aggression. Um, but, you know, as you, as I said before, as you rise through the ranks, you start to fight better fighters, don't you? And these better fighters aren't worried about your speed and your aggression and what have you. They, they, they can combat that. They've been there and seen it and bought the T-shirt. So I think it was good for him to get the rounds under his belt. And, um, you know, it just shows him just to keep his feet on the ground. You're not going to blow every fighter away. Certain fighters will do things that other fighters don't. They'll hold on. They'll spoil things. They'll put their head on you. They'll do all sorts they can to win that fight. So you're not going to have it easy every single time. So I'm sure Conor Ben understands that. And I think it'll make him a better fighter as he goes forward. You know, he's he's progressing really well. He's getting all the experience in the world that he needs. And, uh, you know, he got the result at the end of the day. But you're not going to have it your own way every time. You're not going to go and knock somebody out in a whirlwind fight every time. It's not going to... Boxing doesn't happen like that. So, uh, so no, he's still still doing really well, Conor Ben. And, uh, yeah, I bet, I bet he's pleased to get the rounds. And I bet his team were anyway. Now we move on to what is one of the most bizarre fight cards I can remember in a very long time. Oscar De La Hoya was scheduled to return to the ring against Vitor Belfort, a welterweight taking on somebody who was a former light heavyweight champion in the UFC. And then unfortunately, the Golden Boy subtracted COVID 
and we're all deeply sad about that. And he's had to pull out of the fight. And who steps in? The former heavyweight champion of the world, Evander Holyfield, at 58 years of age. I mean, there's an argument within itself whether Holyfield should be allowed to be taking heavyweight punches at his age. I mean, 16 years ago, there was a difficulty to get him sanctioned to fight. So the fact that it's being sanctioned now just seems to be absolutely ludicrous. But either way, he's stepping in to fight Belfort. Some argue it's a fairer matchup from a size comparison. But in terms of age, I mean, Belfort's about 20 years younger than Holyfield. So there's, of course, controversy there. They've had to move the fight from Los Angeles because the California Athletic Commission refused to sanction that. And David Hay, Joe Fournier on the undercard as well. It's moving over to Florida. It's being sanctioned now. I mean, what do you make of the entire fight card, Paul? I mean, is there an element in your head that's cringing at this, that's feeling uncomfortable about this? What if Anvanda Holyfield, at 58 years of age, gets knocked out by a far younger Vita Belfort? Well, yeah, I mean... You know, Andy Holyfield, if you look back across his career, only been knocked out twice, hasn't he? He's had a fantastic career and, you know, for his, his record, it's a who's who of boxing, really, particularly sort of the middle section of his record. And, um, you know, he's not fought now professionally for, what, 10, 10 years or so. Uh, up until sort of 2010, 2011, he was fairly active, wasn't he, fighting more or less every year, but 10 years out of the sport. I mean, he finished then when he was like 47, 48. So, I mean, even then, that's pretty old to be a professional boxer in the heavyweight division. But 58, you know, you're um, that, that's that's pretty old, 58, <laughs> you know, in professional sport. But particularly in boxing where you're taking heavyweight punches, your reactions aren't going to be the same. Your recovery is not going to be the same. If you get like a big whack on the head there, is, is your body going to recover? I, I don't know. You know, your body's totally different to when you're 25, isn't it? So, uh, so no, it's a risk. Um, and I can't quite understand how people have, have sanctioned this fight and said it's going to be okay for him. I'm, I'm not so sure on that one. It's You just hope and pray that he gets through it and medically he's all right afterwards because uh, I don't know. It seems to me at the moment, it, it, anything sort of goes in boxing, doesn't it, in, in, in combat sports. They just seem to uh, let anybody have a licence and let anybody fight. I'm not, for one minute... Um, having a go at Evander Holyfield has been a fantastic champion, but at 58, you are, you, you know, for want of a better word, you're knocking on a bit, aren't you? So, uh, you know, I, I I know people who are 58 and I wouldn't expect them to to, to go doing, uh, you know, heavyweight boxing. So, uh, so no, it's, it's a difficult one, but, you know, Evander Holyfield must, surely he's got people around him who are going to be honest with him and, 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 and they've, they've checked him out. He's been training. He must be in, in decent shape. He's not just going in the, in the ring as a, as a lay person, is he? So hopefully he's ready for it and he's prepared for it and, and the fight goes off and everyone comes out of it unscathed. Now moving on to the co-main event, Anderson Silva and Tito Ortiz, two former UFC world champions. Silva, of course, crossing over into the boxing world and shocked everybody when he defeated former world champion Hula Cesar Chavez Jr. And now he's going back to fighting UFC operators. And does it beg the question here, Paul, that fighter pay in MMA and boxing is hugely different? I mean, Jake Paul has been campaigning for fighter pay in boxing and MMA, and he's been saying that Dana White, the president of the UFC, isn't paying his fighters correctly, and that's why so many of them are having to step into the boxing world to get the paychecks they deserve. Do you think this fight showcases that, or do you think it's just two elderly UFC former champions who are wanting to make a buck or two, and they've just found a way in boxing to do that? It, it, it seems um, 
it just seems funny to me that they've, they've both gone over in, into boxing. It does, like you were saying, then you were alluding to it. Does I feel a bit uncomfortable with that? And 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 yeah, I think you could be right. You could be onto something there. The way the, a lot of people have sort of stepped over to boxing in, in the past sort of <coughs> excuse me, twelve to eighteen months or so. And and yeah, I mean, perhaps you shouldn't have to cross into another sport. To, to earn, you know, a decent sort of pay for what you're doing. So I don't know, perhaps that's something that should be looked into because it does start to make a mockery of, of certain sports, doesn't it? Because these, you know, if you're, you know, a decent MMA fighter, why should you have to go into boxing and take up a sport that you're not, you know, an expert in? Um, surely that this is an element of, of danger in that. So uh, I think it's something that needs to be looked at, that definitely. And, uh, you know, I think there has been a bit of a, it's been it's been difficult, I think, with the, the way things have gone recently with with that and people crossing over. And I'm not a bit I'm not a big fan of that. I know we spoke about it on the, the show before, haven't we, about people from other sports coming in and, and having boxing bouts and things like that. And I don't know. It, it always sits a bit uncomfortable with me. And the last fight on the card to discuss is David Hay versus Joe Fournier, the former heavyweight champion of the world. The haymaker stepping back in the ring to fight an eight and L billionaire, former nightclub owner. A very bizarre fight. This wasn't going to be sanctioned by the California State Athletic Commission, but Florida, different rule set. It's looking like it is going to be sanctioned as a professional bout. What do you make of it? Is this the right decision for the haymaker to potentially finish on a win? Of course, he's at the moment coming off two losses to Tony Bellew. Or could a freak accident happen? I mean, David Hayes' body has failed to even stand up in the last two fights. That's part of the reason why he lost to Tony Bellew. And could something similar happen here if he is to sustain an injury and a loss to somebody who's only defeated journeyman and is really just a <coughs> nightclub owner or just a bit of boxing on the side. It, it won't go down very well for the Haymakers legacy. And also just because we're running out of time and need to move on to the rugby now, Sky Sports have announced a new schedule. They've teamed up with Boxer and Top Rank and they'll be bringing three new domestic shows. Eubank Jr. will be taking on Sven Ilber. Huey Fury is back in action against Christian Hammer and we'll close the year with Josh Taylor versus Jack Catterall. Yes, some, some good fights on there, James. Definitely, I was reading about that today. And, uh, no, it's good to see, you know, boxing coming onto uh, sort of mainstream satellite television, if you like. I know we'd all like to see it on terrestrial telly, but there's some, some good fighters there have been signed up. There's a whole host of fighters been listed there on uh, on both sides of the Atlantic and, and all over the world, really, isn't there? So some, some really exciting fights are going to be made. And I, I'm looking forward to it. Just going back to your first point about David Hay, I'm pretty sure you could probably call the other guy a, a white collar fighter. Really, he's not really fought anybody of anything, has he? So, uh, so, but it's a risk for David Hay that, as you said before, his body let him down against uh, against Tony Bellew, particularly. Or is it like his his leg really wasn't it? He, was it like a heel injury or something he had as well? But he was very, he couldn't move well at all, really, could he? So let's hope his body can hold out for him this time because you you don't want to be going out. You know, with the legacy he's had and losing, you know, to somebody of, of of that sort of standard. So that again, to me, seems another real strange, strange fight. You know, David A must be sort of early forties now, is it? You think you just retire now and finish? But obviously, he's got something there. He still wants to fight, and the flame's still burning inside him. So, uh, be interesting to 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 say the least. Yeah, it'll be a, an extremely interesting card all around. A bit of a circus almost. But I'm intrigued. I might sit down and watch it. We'll have to wait and see. But we'll be there to break it down for you all this time next week. Now, I'm going to throw back to Rob, who's going to discuss everything Salford Red Devils. Yep, yeah, let's start with uh, with Salford, uh, Paul. Magic weekend this weekend. Uh, lost Castleford 29 points to 18. Talk us through it. 
Yeah, it was another, um, it was quite a cold day actually in Newcastle and uh, the rain was sort of teeming down in that first half there. I mean, totally different to the day they got today with glorious sunshine there today in Newcastle. But no, it was a steady start to the game. Quite a few penalties given away by both sides. You know, Castleford, Paul McShane, I thought was excellent in the early stages for them. Salford conceding all three tries in that in that first half and all from close range really, but hit back with um, with a couple of tries of their own. You know, Joe Burgess scored a good try, or Ken Seal got a try as well. And, you know, um, we, we we showed some nice touches there um, in that match. So, uh, you know, 16-12 at half-time, we was well in the game. But it was 12 apiece until, um, I think it was Milner, the uh, the Casper forward, went over come close race to put Cass in front at half-time. And the game was in the balance. The game was really in the balance going into the second half. And uh, we had chances in that second half as well. Uh, got back into the game, got back into the game with a 40-20. When we was trailing by four, I think at that time, but we just couldn't quite break Castleford down. And you know, looking back at the game, if you if you look at the side we had out and think about the forwards we had missing, our sort of first choice pack was missing really. You know, Paulie Paulie wasn't playing, Sebastian Vigo wasn't playing, you know, Jack Wells wasn't playing, Lee Moss was retired, obviously. Uh, James Greenwood, one or two others whose name escaped me at the moment, Elijah Taylor. Um, yeah, so we, we were struggling. We were struggling for big men, really, and uh, I thought Castleford were just just too big for us, and we just didn't have that grunt up front to uh, to get ourselves over the line. It wasn't for a lack of effort, though, Rob. I thought the effort was tremendous from the players. Again, we just we just weren't good enough on the day, and uh, Castleford just edged us out, really. But the disappointing thing was Casper's without really their recognised halfbacks. They had Jordan Turner and, and Peter Metalch at halfback, so uh, I, I sniffed a chance there for Salford. But no, it was it was a disappointing. Disappointing day, really, and Casford sort of had us at arm's length in that tw- last 20 minutes, dropped a goal late on, and uh, they deserved the win. They were the better side. Yeah, this is what Richard Marshall had to say after the game. Right, Rick, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. Defeat today, but there wasn't much between the two sides. No, there wasn't. There was, There was. Um, I thought they took their opportunities. We probably didn't take ours, um, but at the same time, we... I thought we would look creative with the ball. Um, uh, I thought our kicking game was really good as it has been. Uh, just defensively, we're a little bit loose in and around that rook, um, which which creates some problems for us field position wise. Um, but they were a desperate team. They looked desperate today. Um, and, and, yeah, and they just got got over the top of us. But you know, there was nothing in it. Well, there was four points in it with with fifteen minutes to go, and just we were quite quite clinical enough at that point. Yeah, you played Kevin Brown at loose ball, which we had four halfbacks on the field. Didn't that help with our sort of attacking play? In some respects, it did. In some respects, it didn't. Uh, but you know, Kev did a really good job defensively. Um, we, yeah, we, have, you know, there's some there's some changes that that were forced. Uh, we just thought we wanted Kevin involved in the game, and and, and we defended him a little bit wider, so he didn't he didn't get that traffic, but he he found himself in in the mix a couple of times. Um, but yeah, I think it helps us in some respects. But uh, I also think we, we lacked a little bit of go forward off the back of that. Yeah, we hung in in the second half. Showed good mental strength and physical strength as well. Is that something to build on for the next two games? Yeah, we've had that over the last couple of weeks, and that is certainly something to build from. We, you know, we'll get tested again against Warrington and St Helens, two quality teams going for, uh, you know, going for, looking for a, a grand final spot. So we've just got to make sure that we prepare really well over the next couple of weeks. We will not throw the towel in. We won't do that. We'll keep working hard. Uh, there's not a lot at stake for us, but at the same time, that, that creates 
uh, that, that that creates some, some problems as well. Um, but in terms of motivation, we're, we're fully motivated to finish the season really well. Yeah, Casper are a playoff chasing team. How far away do you think we are from, from that? Not far. I, I really don't. I don't. I think we had a couple of one-on-one misses. I thought our discipline was a lot better. I thought we had a couple of calls that didn't go our way. Uh, ta- you know, we, we, I thought we got tackled in the air a couple of times. Um, I don't think there was a lot between those two teams. Uh, if I'm being honest, I think defensively they were a little bit stronger than us. Um, but yeah, there was, there was there was not a lot. Yeah, we picked up a few. Another obviously challenge for the squad in the next two games. Yeah, yeah, I have no idea who will be available for next week. Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll, we'll sit down and. and, and Hopefully we can get a couple back. You know, Elijah Taylor, uh, James Greenwood, possibly Paulie. Paulie, you know, there's a couple of lads on the periphery who, who couldn't. They were all injured. Those three players, but we'll, we might have to nurse them back to health this week. Yeah, Warrington away uh, next week. Uh, another sort of game against another team that sort of chasing something. Yeah, yeah, and we want to be chasing things as well. You know, we want to be one of those teams, and we're not quite there at the moment. It's not been the greatest of seasons, but. So we've picked up, I think we've picked up a lot over the last couple of weeks. There's some boys in there who, who have got some really good experiences uh, that they've learned over the last couple of weeks. And and, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put our strongest team out and we'll have a real good goal over these next two weeks. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. Thank you. So that was Richard Marshall talking after the game, Paul. He talked about sort of getting near to Castleford. Castleford, a playoff side. Uh, Salford are kind of approaching that. He's, we know we're not there yet. He thinks there's, there's, there's you know, optimism uh, in, in the ranks. They've got Warrington this week. Another opportunity to test themselves. Well, yeah, definitely. It'll be an opportunity. Warrington and a bit in and out. I mean, they were they struggled to beat Wigan at the weekend, didn't they? So uh, so that'll be a test for us. Definitely away from home at Warrington. Then we've got St. Helens, the last game the week after. So anything can happen in those two games, though. Um, we don't know whether those sides are going to be resting players for the, the playoffs. They'll have their mind on the the business end of the season. So we'll have to see how that one goes. But no, we've just got to keep plugging away. Two games left now and it's important that we that we just keep fighting to the end of the season and just try and finish if we can sneak above. I think Huddersfield are the next team above us. And we could still get above them if we can get, get a win on the percentages because they've played a few more games than us. But I think Wakefield have pulled away from us now. They've had another excellent win under Willie Poaching at the weekend beating Huddersfield. So, so yeah, it'd be hard to catch them now. But I think overall it's been a bit of a disappointing season. But it's been tough. We've we've done it tough with injuries and and, and the COVID regulations and things like that. So uh, hopefully next season we can uh, we can settle down and uh, and really go at it in twenty twenty two. Yep, yeah. off the field, uh, Salford have a link up with the Welsh Rugby League, and they've signed uh, three players: Ewan Roberts, Jack Lees, and Joe Copeland Franklin. Uh, they will be playing the reserves next season. It's great that we're able to tap into such talent. It certainly is, and it'd certainly be great to see a reserve team next season back, Rob. And, uh, you know, this sort of talent that we're, we're tapping into in the local junior sides we've got as well, we need to give those players somewhere to play, particularly in the reserves. And let's hope we can get an academy soon as well, because we don't want to be losing players to, to sides around us, you know, like to Warrington and Wigan and St. Helens. So, uh, so yeah, it's important that we, that we do that. So I'm really delighted to see the reserves back next season. I think it'd be a big plus for us as well. You've got players returning from injury and things like that. You'd have to throw them straight back into the first team you can you know edge the players back so uh, so I think that'll be a real plus for Salford Red Devils next year. 
Yeah, minute and a half to go, Paul. Let's talk about Swinton Lions. Uh, they lost to London at home, 34 points to 32. Um, close game, defeated, unfortunately. Yeah, close game, but much improvement for, for Swinton Lions. You know, London Broncos, have they've been disappointing this season with London Broncos. Many people fancied them to have a shot at coming back up and promotion and things like that, but they've they've struggled really and been a bit in and out. So, uh, so but I think you know the bookmakers were giving Swinton a 20-point start today, so uh, on Sunday, sorry. So uh, for, for Swinton to come back there, and they, I think they were losing quite heavily in that game. They came back really well and, and give London a fright, so unlucky there. But I think they'll probably be glad the season's uh, coming to an end soon it's not been one to remember for the for the Switzerland Lions. It's been a season of struggle, really, and they'll be looking to regroup in 2022. Yeah, we've got 50 seconds to go, Paul. Sheffield away Sunday. Opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, certainly that'll be a tough game for them, but Sheffield's sort of down the lower end of the table. So we'll be looking for some pride now and hoping they can get another result before the end of the season. Obviously, Salford have got the game at Warrington on Saturday as well. That's going to be a good game. We always like going to, to Warrington, a good atmosphere there, and uh, hopefully our two local clubs can... Uh, Caught with some good performance this weekend to restore a bit of pride. Yeah, 30 seconds to go. We're going for a double win. Yeah, don't see why not. I think Salford have got another win in them this season, Rob. Um, as I've said before, Warrington flatter to deceive sometimes and we've got the better of them over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think that'll be a good game. And Swinton as well, don't see why not. Brilliant. Big thanks to this week's Sports Zone on Soul City Radio. I'm Bro Parkson. That was Paul Whiteside. We had James Sweetham talking boxing and football. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.